0: Good morning. Delighted to be with you. It's a little warm in Florida. Uh, just got back from uh, travels in uh, Ireland and Scotland. Spent a month there. Came back, and the heat is unbelievable. Um, I think it's going to be here for a while. So our uh, our epistle lesson for this morning is Colossians chapter three, verses twelve. Through 14. Let's give our attention to the reading of the Word of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, the psalmist writes how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured down on the head, flowing down on the beard, even Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forever. And dear God, we pray to that end. Amen. One of the things I always tell my students when I'm teaching history is perhaps the most important thing when studying history is context. You have to understand the backstory to why certain events take place. Like, for example, one of the things I tell my history students as we 're getting ready to uh, embark on studying World War one is i 'll tell them it is critical that you understand World War I because if you don 't understand World War I, you will not understand what World War two understanding World War I and understanding the uh, the factors that led to World War one and How World War I ended and the sanctions that were placed and the punishments that were levied and the fines that were imposed on various countries ultimately is what's going to fuel World War II. Context is everything when we're reading historical narratives, and the same thing is here as we read Colossians. The backstory to Colossians is the the, the Colossian church, they knew Jesus, they believed in him, they believed in uh, the gospel; they believed in the power of the resurrection, but it just wasn't quite enough. There was something more that they were searching for. They wanted more, and what they would often do is they would dabble in something called syncretism. That's uh, that's a word that means they would dabble in little bits and pieces of other types of belief systems and kind of bring it together because the gospel and the resurrection power of Jesus, as they understood as they understood, it wasn't quite enough for the church at Colossae. And so what they would do is they would dabble in a Greco-Roman philosophy, and they would dabble in ancient Jewish commandments and things like that and try to bring things together. It's like they knew the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. They knew the power of the gospel, but it just wasn't enough. But there's another piece to the context that's important and I think it's always important anytime we read the Apostle Paul is to be reminded of his conversion experience. Be reminded of the substantive change, the radical change that he experienced on the Damascus Road in Acts 9. And if you don't know that, that story, if you're here this morning, you're not sure about it. Basically, the Apostle Paul, prior to his conversion experience, was a persecutor of the church. And he really believed that he was doing the right thing in his persecution of the church, in his persecution of those who preach the word. And what happens is he's traveling along this Damascus road and completely, you know, unbeknownst to him, Unanticipated in every way. He's blinded, he's knocked from his ride, and then all of a sudden he hears this voice that says, Why are you persecuting me? And then the very people that he had been persecuting him find him, gather him together, minister to him. They're not quite sure about him because they remember that this is the same guy who's been persecuting them, but they minister to him nonetheless this is a picture of the gospel in Paul's life. And so when we read his letters and when we read, for example, Colossians, which is one of the prison epistles, it's also important to remember how the apostle Paul, how that radical nature of his conversion, the utter sheer grace of God in his life, the love of the gospel, the love of Jesus in his life, calling him out. Talk about the most undeserving of people, the one who breathed murderous threats against the people of the gospel. And yet, that's the very individual that by God's grace and love, he draws to himself. And so when he speaks to the, the Colossian church, he's speaking as one who, who knows who's been illumined, obviously, by this Holy Spirit, who is sharing the, the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace that he has experienced himself and knows to be true. Dear ones, you're here this morning, and everyone has a different story. What I want to do with you this morning is I just want to pour out the love of Jesus on your life today. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know everyone's stories. I don't know everyone's issues that you've walked in with and that you're sitting before right now in this congregation. But all I want to do is I want in this time is just to lavishly pour out the good news of the love of Jesus Christ on your life. To know that he loves you, that he adores you, that he's given his life for you, that he's risen from the dead for you and that he intercedes for you. And my hope and prayer is that at the culmination of this sermon, if you're in here this morning, you're just not there yet, you just don't know that quite yet, my hope is that by sermon end you would. And that hopefully you would seek out an elder of the church, a pastor of the church, and, and be able to gather together in prayer. Because after all, this beautiful gospel that I'm hoping to share with you this morning. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of life. This is the gospel of forgiveness. This is the gospel of love. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so let's dive in a little bit more here. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at putting on God's chosen. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones in verse 12. We're also going to look at forgiveness, and then we're also going to look at love. First point, putting on God's chosen ones. Putting on then. And what are we called to put on? Compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Now, I could stand up here this morning, and I could just say, we just need to be more patient. We just need to be more meek. We, you know, we need to be more kind. We need to be more humble. Maybe perhaps that's not the best way to embark on this. Maybe perhaps the best way to embark on this is to understand that this is, this is how the resurrection of Jesus plays out in the life of the community because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of his power and glory, because of his perfect humility and meekness and power and glory and and love and compassion, the covenant community gathers together because Jesus is worthy, because Jesus is the ultimate, because Jesus is the one who lavishly pours these things out. And then we gather together and we seek to be more compassionate to each other, more understanding to each other. In verse 13 it talks about bearing with one another. Do we ever get on each other's under each other's skin? Do we ever push each other's buttons? Let me tell you about a button that was pushed on me a number of years ago. You ready? I was preaching a sermon and I got a uh, an email from an individual who was not attending the church, a visitor, and It was a scathing critique, a scathing email that basically said instead of, I had the chapter and verse correct to what I was referencing, but instead of saying first Peter, I said second Peter. And so that made the connection entirely wrong. And so what happens is I receive this scathing email and I see the email and my, typically I don't respond to anything like that, but I just felt I had to. And I responded to this gentleman. I said, dear man, thank you so much for your email. Thank you for highlighting my error. You're absolutely right. It was an error of mine. And I said, thankfully, I serve a community that bears with me, that bears with my errors. Now, that is an example of a, of a person not bearing with my error. But it also shows likewise that I did not bear with what? With him in return. The email didn't need to be written. I didn't need to respond in that way, but I did it. And so this is part of how within the covenant community, because of the power and grace and glory of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and all the work that he's accomplished on our behalf, we treat each other with humility and with with kindness. We bear with one another. It's not always easy but it is something we are called to do. This, this text here in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones is reminiscent of 1 Peter 2, 9, where we're reminded we are a chosen race, a holy priesthood or a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So being called by God is an indicative. It's something that God has done on our behalf. It's not something that we do. It's not something we aspire to. It's not something that we earn. It's something that God, by his grace, has freely lavished on us. And because of that, because we are living in light of the believers, of, of, of the believers' resurrection in Christ Jesus... Then these next issues, these next characteristics—beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience—all these things come into play. So that when we when we respond to each other, when we engage with each other, when when we um, when we uh, do do the work of the gospel together, or even just living together in our in our lives we treat each other with kindness and grace and mercy because of the power of Jesus and his resurrection poured out on us. That's what it's all about. So this is really, this Colossians text really details the resurrection life of Jesus as it operates within the body of Christ. That's why the resurrection is so important among other things, of course. But this is precisely why the resurrection of Jesus is so critical for us not only to understand cognitively, but to own in our hearts. This is the picture of salvation by grace. When Jesus died, people died to sin. When Jesus rose, the covenant people rose to new life. So when Jesus dies and, and, and rises from the dead and is ascended into heaven, that has profound implications for the covenant community. The next thing is this, forgiveness. Bearing with one another in verse 13, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also, uh, so you also must forgive. Now, we are called to be a forgiving people. We are called to be um, a people that, um, you know, when we are in conflict with another person, to seek that person out, try to rectify it as quickly and as amicably as possible and to, to try to, as best as possible, move on. Obviously, it depends on the severity of the situation, depends on uh, uh, how difficult the situation might be. Not all situations are alike. But nonetheless, we are called as a people to be a forgiving people. It's the essence of the gospel. It's because we've been forgiven that we are in turn to be people who, by nature, want to be forgivers. And so this idea, this um, concept of being, uh, uh, of being forgivers, um, this, this is a special work of the Spirit, it's, it's, th- these are not attributes that just naturally come from our efforts. This is a work of the Spirit in our life. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit um, enables the people of God um, to, to work through these things and to, to have these particular attributes um, and grow in these attributes in our sanctification, in our walk with the Lord, to, to grow in our love, to grow in our forgiveness, to grow in our humility, It's all the work of the Spirit. And so this this forgiveness, if we have a complaint against each other, to, to to be mindful of how it is that the Lord has forgiven us. Now, that's not always easy to do. And admittedly, I don't often, my default reaction when I feel like I've been offended in some way is not to immediately remind myself of how God has forgiven me. That's not my natural inclination. But it is important. It is important to understand how the Lord has forgiven us, has called us to be his own, so that as we become forgivers ourselves, we can, we can rest in that forgiveness that God has given us and say, can we, can we actually forgive this? And in our world and in our... Um, in our state of relationship, that doesn't always mean that once we forgive, relationships are always going to be exactly like they were before. Because again, depending on the offense and depending on the severity of it, some hurt is just very deep. But there is forgiveness because if we aren't a people of forgiveness, there's this spiritual ill, there's this almost like sickness that can pervade our hearts. And what happens is we hold on to things and and we, we, we become so bitter and so angry. And through that, we begin to lose sight of the community. We begin to lose sight of the power of the gospel in our lives. And it's easy to do. I do it myself. I imagine you do it as well. And yet being mindful of forgiveness, being mindful of how Jesus has forgiven us, of how God, how God has forgiven us, that we love God because God first loved us. And that God's love can never be taken away from us because he's eternal and he's holy and he's just. And so when we're mindful of these things, when we're mindful of forgiveness and what it means to forgive each other, we're also reminded that this is a work of God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So there's, there's, you know, being God's holy ones, being God's chosen ones, and then this call to being beloved and compassionate, you know, to being kind. Within Scripture, there are many places in Scripture that talk about one anotherness. In other words, that we are to love one another, we're to forgive one another, we're to pray for one another and so on. This idea, this, this, um, this notion that the Bible teaches us of one otherness causes us to look beyond ourselves, doesn't it? It, it, it causes us to look beyond our own comforts and beyond our own proclivities. It, tends, it, it makes us look beyond those things Um, And what it does is this happens to be a work of everyone in the church. And so in that way, the nurture within the church is important. We're all called to nurture each other. It's not just Chuck's job to nurture us. He can't do it. I already know he can't. And even with John's help, Chuck can't do it. They both can't do it and even with the with the, with the ruling elders that we have here at Christ church they can't do it all the people of god the covenant community within the church we are called we are called to be a kingdom of priests we are called to look out after each other we are called to care for each other's souls it's nice when the pastor reaches out and cares for my soul But the reality is, I need the people sitting around me, sitting in this congregation, to reach out and care for my soul. This is a family issue. This is not just a a Chuck issue or a John issue. So this is a work of the entire church. This is a work of all of us being encouragers in each other's lives. But here's the question, dear ones, what are we encouraging each other to? the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness, the gentleness, the patience, the bearing with one another, the power of Jesus rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, conquering sin and death. It's that power. It's that hope. It's that glory. That's what we ultimately seek to rest each other in. So that is leads to the final point in terms of love. It says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's another imperative there. Put on love. So again, if I were to say to you, go ahead, just put on love, I don't know that that is really the best way to do it, especially apart from grasping And understanding and resting in the love that Jesus gives us in the gospel. That he has saved us, that he pursued us, that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. That's the love that we're talking about. And so it says here, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So love is the key characteristic, it appears, of Christian conduct within the covenant community. But it doesn't stop there. Love here is not the end. It's the means. Love is a means to an end in this context. The purpose of love is to perfect harmony. Unity can be achieved and maintained only if all parties earnestly love one another. So, when the Apostle Paul, at the very end of this text, in verse 14, when he summarizes everything as perfect harmony, he's he's tying off this perfect harmony with the promise of being God's chosen, with being people who forgive, and with being people who love. But these three attributes, these three characteristics cannot and should not be thought apart from the general context of this text which is the resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate love, the ultimate forgiveness that God gives and as the gospel permeates us, as the gospel continues to correct us as the gospel continues to reveal to us just how loved we are Then, over time, we are able to nurture one another in the compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another that the Apostle Paul draws together. And is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul, who had this incredible conversion experience on the Damascus Road, writes this, This is out of Ephesians 1. And what I want you to do as I read this text is listen for words like forgiveness, love, chosen. Listen listen to what he says in Ephesians 1. This is beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses Dear ones, this is the gospel. It is all about Jesus. It is all about his work. Rest in him. Rest in the power of his love. Rest in the security, the assurance of knowing that you are his. You will always be his. Grace, let me back up. Salvation is by grace. It's not anything you've earned, and it's not anything you hold on to. It's the Lord who's called you to be his, and it's the Lord who will keep you forever and for always. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've called us to be yours. Father, that we can be people of forgiveness and love because Jesus is the ultimate vision of that. The ultimate forgiver, the ultimate lover of our hearts, of our souls. And Father, because of the power of the resurrection, and how that power is practically applied within the lives of the church, within our lives as the people. Oh, dear God, by your Spirit, continue to impress upon us how to love each other and forgive each other and to be people who are kind and humble and generous to one another. Father, my prayer is that by your Spirit, this, this truth of the gospel, this truth of the resurrected power of Jesus, would bind Christ's church together. So we can be a family. Father, we give you praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.